Simon Wollstonecroft is a drummer from Manchester. His first band at school was with Ian Brown and John Squire. His second band became The Smiths. He played with The Fall for 11 years and continues to play drums for Manchester bands today. Johnny Marr nicknamed him Funky Sai. This is Funky Sai's A to Z of Manchester. Hello, Simon. Very good evening, Jackie. How are you? I'm great. It's We're great laughing to be back already. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I do like coming round the studio. It's great. You've got a great thing going on. Marvelous. And I really appreciate the work that you do. You're very good at it. Oh, thank you so very I'm much. In, uh, I'm in safe hands, as they say. Lovely. That's always good to hear. What have you been up to? Uh, I've been doing a bit of uh, drumming last night, a bit of exercise. I've not been getting enough. San Pedro have been on the back boiler for a couple of months. Uh, but I did a gig, a live stream gig with Lucy Jenick um, for Mancunia TV, which is a uh, live stream channel. It goes out live um, on Friday the 4th. Okay. Is, uh, so you might want to have a listen to that. We do Brilliant. three songs at the end of the show. It lasts about an hour long. I have um, Leon the Pig Farmer, spoken word poet. Very, very good. Uh, he's actually from Yorkshire, an ex-army guy. He's got, and I can hear everything he's saying because my hearing is not so good anymore. But I can hear every little word he says, and he's got a great rhythm. And I really like him, Lee and the Pig Farmer. MC Tunes, Clint Boom was there, um, lots of people, and uh, it was great to be out again playing. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really happy. And I get exercise as well. And how did you feel actually getting behind the drum kit again live in front of people? Uh, fantastic. You know, I love it. It was a great sound there. They hold it at a club called Off the Wall, which is on Oldham Street in Manchester, number 33. Any other gigs? San Pedro have got a couple coming up uh, in May uh, at Christchurch in Macclesfield again. That's a great venue, isn't it? Yeah, it was good, yeah. Um, I love the acoustics there. Another one at the um, After All Festival in the Northern Quarter. Uh, somewhere down Oldham Street, there's a couple of venues they're doing it over. So we're playing in there in May of 17th, I think. Uh, you know, long may it continue again. Good man, excellent. Yeah. Well, that's great news. Well, we thought we'd meet up again, didn't we, to do another bonus episode? Yes, we did. Mark Keith Smith would have been 65 okay. this year. Yeah. So we thought we'd celebrate Mark's life and your friendship. Right, okay. So let's begin. <laughs> Let's start at the very beginning, shall we? So what did you know about the fall and how did you join? Well, uh, basically back in uh, the old days at Alty Grammar, <laughs> when I was about 14, 15, 76, um, Andy Wake, who was a classmate of, of me and Ian and John's, used to bring in the Bingo Masters breakout. We were very, very excited about it. He was one of these kids who listened to John Peel under the bedclothes. I, I didn't. I don't know what I did. But I didn't do that. Didn't Were you listening that. to Piccadilly Radio? Yeah, I did, yeah. Yes, yeah. I did too. I did my first fall interview, actually, at Piccadilly Radio with Terry Christian, um, as was Mark's once. He used to take me to quite a lot of interviews and stuff. Didn't say much, but he just seemed to like to have somebody there from the group. It was a Sunday night show, an indie show or something or yeah. other. And Tony Michaelides used to do it in those days as well, Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah, it was good Piccadilly. I know it was. It's a great radio station. I love the logo. 
um, that right and We all had the sticker, didn't we, on the window? It wouldn't come off the window, oh my God. <laughs> you need a flamethrower. <laughs> Get that bugger off. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. You knew about the fall because of your friend at school. Yeah, Andy Wake. And I, I didn't really... He showed me the pictures, you know, on the, on the seven-inch singles. Ropes Rumble he had as well, another one. But I'd seen a couple of pictures of them, didn't really know much about them, really. To be honest, the fall, you know, I got into the uh, the clash and the specials, uh, went down a different route musically. It wasn't till um, 1985 when this nation's saving grace um, came into me, uh, you know, um, orbit. And how did that happen? Well, I was hanging out in Hume at the time, um, you know, in the bull rings and everything. A mate of ours, Andy Cadman, uh, his brother was the drummer in dub sax, Roger, and, uh, well, <laughs> Carl Burns used to come round. We had the crew of us, you know. We'd be knocking about, having a smoke and what have you. Um, <laughs> but I like Carl, you know, and uh, I always got on with him. And I do wonder where he is. And uh, We're still looking for you, Carl. I know, you know, I know Steve Hanley, he told me he saw him about three or four years ago. Went to track him down, but they just missed him. He'd moved out of the house that he was uh, living in, in uh, Rottenstall, I think. We need one of those Netflix series, you know, where uh, they yeah, track people I down. I think it'd be a good idea. Excellent. Think of the soundtrack. <laughs> right, let's get on it. <laughs> so we're in 1985 and you've... Uh, you've... Yeah, yeah, we're hanging out in Hume and uh, I knew Carl was in the band The Fall. Because you talk about it, you know. Uh, and I was in the weeds, of course, with Andrew Berry, hairdresser to the stars, and Mike Orojo. Later on, Carrie from the Cold Water Swimmers, she played guitar with us. And uh, we cut a couple, well, one record, actually, called China Doll, on Mark Riley's um, label, Intake Records, uh, when he was living down in Sale there with Greg Scanlon. And was Mark in the band at this point? Mark Smith. No, Riley. Mark Smith. <laughs> we know he was. <laughs> uh, was he in the band? No, I don't. Uh, 1985. It was about the same time he left. Ah, uh-huh, okay. But um, living in Altrincham, I did see Craig Scanlon knocking about, uh, walking along Northern Road, you know, getting the train or the bus or whatever, quite a bit. And he used to think, oh, there's that guitarist from the fall. <laughs> so I was aware, aware of them. What did you think of Marky e. Smith as a as a person character at that point before you'd met him? Uh, I knew he'd got a quite. A, um, he was quite um, edgy, <laughs> fight with the word. You know, uh, said what he felt. You know what I mean? And I knew Carl and him were sort of always battling about this, that, and the other. When I first met him, which wasn't long after that. In 85 again, um, he was great, you know, uh, my first impression, I really liked him. And where was that? Salford Van Eyre Transit, either in London or Bristol, after a gig. Right, if we don't get Salford Van Eyre to, <laughs> to sponsor this show... You're still going. <laughs> <laughs> because but, the amount of mentions that they get is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, well, they were the cheapest ones, I think. And Mark had, uh, you know... A bit of a relationship with them. They were Italians, I think he said, um, which he sort of quite liked, you know, because he likes Italy. So well, you're in a van with him, and what are you doing? Travelling? Um, he's asking me, um, hey, hey, Cock, do you want to um, join the band? 
uh, I've been, you know, I've been watching you. I'd like you to join the band. And I said, oh, right, okay. So uh, had you supported them at this point? That's right. Um, we did about six gigs, some in Scotland and some down south. I was dead chuffed that he'd said this, you know, asked me. Had you watched The Fall? Yeah, I'd watched them. And, and what, what did you think? I thought they were great. They were playing This Nation Saving Grace. Now, had it been an earlier um, incarnation of the band, I ain't so sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's all down to timing, I think, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yes. Some people like the later stuff. I consider myself the middle part, and there was the early, early stuff, uh, but I got into it just, you know, halfway through. But I thought it was dead powerful, um, got the quantifier, you know, what a great name, great song, you know, Bombast, L.A. Um, I thought, you know, Bricks was great. Basically, I said to Mark, <laughs> only if you can pay me the same wage that I'm earning at the canteen in uh, Farnworth. He said, all right, then, Cock, you know, and wrote it down on the, um, famously on the embassy cigarette packet on the back of it. Every know. best contract. Yes, uh, I'll pay you uh, whatever it was back then. It was not a lot, about 140 quid per week for the next six months. But before that six months had elapsed, we'd suddenly been signed by Phonogram or Beggar's Banquet, and the money tripled, you know, the wage, um, which was fantastic, you know, back then. And sometimes we didn't do anything for weeks, you know. So I thought, I was, oh, yeah, I fell on my feet here. I really have. And I got on with them straight away. You know, no problem at all. So who else was in the band when you joined? Well, it was um, it was Mark, me, Bricks, Steve Hanley, Craig Scanlon, and Simon Rogers, another Simon, um, very talented musician, classically trained, producer, worked with fine young cannibals he has amongst others. He gave it some stability, Simon Rogers, you know, in the studio. You know, samplers had come out and all the rest of it, which is sort of using on Hit the North, the song, stuff like that. And would Mark listen to him? Yeah, he would, absolutely. And he respected he would. him. Yeah, yeah, he did. You were in The Fall for 11 years. What was it like touring with The Fall? Well, it was very enjoyable um, for the first few years, certainly six or seven years of that 11. You know, we'd get a tour bus, bunk beds, all that kind of thing, and it was all, you know, new to me. It was new to all of us, actually, because we um, signed, you know, a record deal with a big company for the first time, and there was quite a bit of money splashing about. So we'd all um, get picked up in town, say, uh, <laughs> You'd all uh, just have your bag with you, with your clothes in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, was it like going on like a school trip? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We used to meet at New Mount Street because we had an office there in the late 80s anyway. It was at Mark's house at first. And before that, it was at Steve's mum and dad's pie shop in Withinshaw where the equipment was stored. At the pie shop? Yeah, the, Steve's I mean, how dad. northern can we get? <laughs> I never actually had one of them pies. What? <laughs> But it's, uh, it's near Willingshore Hospital, and then the big tour bus came for the first time. It was a Leyland Leopard, it was called. Wow, this is great for the film. <laughs> you could hardly get down the, you know, the alley where the equipment was stored in a shed round the back. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, never had one of them pies. Uh, yeah, so we'd pick up the gear up there, and then it was later on, it was uh, New Mount Street, 
course, In Spiral Carpets were there, and SJM, and quite a few sort of music-based uh, officers. And I did my stint there. You know, Mark used to say, right, I want you all to go in, <laughs> you know, two days a week or three days a week, and answer the phone, and, you know, nobody ever rang. <laughs> so you just uh, just go, you know, hanging about in the coffee bar or whatever. You know, I know... <laughs> You know, did he not? That, the hilarious thing is, did he not ever check that there was anybody? You could, you could have just not turned up at all because nobody was phoning. And well, I, I know, but there's always that chance that he'd, he'd be spying on you from the pub opposite uh, the Shamrock, which is one of his favourite boozers, actually. But uh, yeah, so we'd get all the equipment in the bus and drive up to Mark's house in Presswich, and. Uh, so wait a minute. So everybody meets up in town, yeah. but then Mark gets picked up from his house. Oh yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. He won't meet us. No. And then we get on the motorway. You see, junction seventeen, M sixty two. You know, it's not a bad junction. That you get a lot of places straight away, and he knew that. But when we used to come back the other way, I used to live near the airport. You see, and he wanted to be dropped off first. By God, I'll be dropped off. For- first so he'd have to check you know whether he'd had a drink and he was a bit uh you know flat out in one of the bunks so he didn't like going in them bunks he'd lie on the back you know on the back lounge you know that was like the captain's cabin and the crew were all down you know at the front but he'd uh he'd, he'd come down and uh turn something off if he didn't like the music or you know video it was this early on in your first tours that's what he was like yeah pretty much yeah yeah and did nobody ever challenge him? Uh, there was a couple of arguments, usually like tour managers or bus drivers, you know. You try and make, uh, you know, bus drivers in America, for instance, travel all night instead of stopping in a hotel halfway there. He hated that, you know. It, it, you know, if anybody wants to stop, you go, oh, it's a, oh, poor little boy, need a wee wee <laughs> You know, he hated that. You know, it's quite sinister. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you'd uh, hang about in the back sometimes. You know, bricks would hang out there at first in the back lounge. You know, you have to be sort of invited. Really, <laughs> you wouldn't just walk in. I was free to come and go because we were mates. You know, some of the music was a bit, uh, you know, shrill, and you know, I'd have to get. Go and sit down the front. What that Mark was listening to? Sometimes, yeah. Feedback and weird noises. Which, you know, gave him his style, some you know. And who was he listening to? Who did it who who did he like? Well, uh, Ground Dogs Wizard can, you know, it's well documented. Captain Beefheart was Captain one of his Beefheart, first. Yeah. He's not my favourite. Um he, he played Bow and M as well, you know, or even Abba. Was you know, he just doing that to annoy people? No, he genuinely liked that, you know, <laughs> and I did too. <laughs> well, that was because he wanted to be in the Eurovision. He was yeah, getting... well, yeah, we did uh, have a go at writing the song. Yes, chee, did. Chee, chee. That's right. I mean, there's still hope for that, no, I think. Well, you know, um, it's all been revamped and so all that. Well, thing. let's not discount it, Simon. No, all right. <laughs> it's, it's somewhere there. We're on a cassette somewhere. You'd be on the tour bus... And did he have any superstitions or did the band have any things that they did before gigs uh, or anything that he always did before a gig? Was there a routine? Would he speak he, to he'd people? He'd try and make the atmosphere like, uh, you know, icy. <laughs> what for the band? 
yeah, for everybody. <laughs> it won't be all the way, come on, you know, let's all shake hands. You know, like Madonna has, where they're, huddle, they're all in yeah. a huddle. And no, they, none of that. We thank God. <laughs> we let everybody try and stay a million miles away, you know. But, uh, you know, we'd go on. It might keep us playing, you know, the first song over and over again for 10 minutes before he'd come on. But he would come on eventually, uh, generally, you know what I mean? Was there ever a time when he didn't come on? No. Uh, we got locked out the back doors of a gig somewhere, down Worthing or somewhere like that. And what happened? In the freezing cold. Or was that us? Or was that the band? <laughs> it might have been us lot. Uh, we had to go around the front of the hall, you know. Fire exit, the door shut, we're now in the cold. Yeah, it was us. It wasn't Mark. But uh, no, yeah, he turned up. Yeah, he did. But obviously, towards the end, he was, a couple of gigs were cancelled. Um, you know, he had having a few problems there, Matt, oh, Mark. And so he'd come on stage, and was there a list? Did you know which order you were doing the songs, or would he just change Oh, yeah, it? yeah. Um, he used to make us write it out. And, you know, when you see set lists on uh, social media, full set lists, I always see if it's one of mine. Because you can tell, can't you? Your own writing. You know, even 40 years ago, whatever it is, you know. You had to write out your own set list? No, you did everybody's. So you did one set list times six, you know, photocopiers. Or, yeah. All the band get one, and the PA man. And would he stick to it? Uh, yeah, yeah, generally, yeah, he would. And he throws something in now and again from years ago I'd never heard of. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just had to uh, cope with it best you could. Just to keep you on your toes. Well, that's it. Here's yeah. one the drummer's never heard of. <laughs> so touring as an experience with The Fall, mm. you look back on it and you think it was good? Uh, again, yeah, the first six, seven years, brilliant. I loved it, going, uh, going abroad, going to all these different countries. Uh, after the gig, you know, uh, Mark could generally come knocking. Or, first of all, he'd be listening outside the lad's room as we're drinking a bottle of Finlandia. You know, as Craig there, ah, Jim lad, he used to say, <laughs> we'd all pretend we weren't in the room, you know, the telly would be on or whatever, and uh, wait for him to disappear. We always were aware that he's always listening, you know, with his ear on the door of the hotel. Uh, but later on, you know, we'd sort of end up going to bed. Quite often he'd come knocking at my door and uh, teaching me to roll the trace, the first page out of the Gideon Bible, which you got in all the hotels, as, using it as Rizzler papers. Wait a minute, wait <laughs> a minute. He was using... That's right, that like very a bit of tracing thin paper. tracing from yeah. the Gideon Bible. Yeah. What is the Gideon Bible? It's a Bible. <laughs> Who are the Gideons? <laughs> I don't know, but I think they're going to be furious when they find out. Okay. That you well, didn't and Mark... Us. You and Mark have been using it as Rizzler paper. Yeah, only in an emergency. Oh, well, that's yeah. okay then. It might be in Japan, you know. Um, that's it's hilarious. Hard to get skins there. And I'll tell you who helped me out once. Um, Elvis Costello. Uh, we were talking, where are we going to get some Rizzlers from? And he overheard us in the hotel lobby. Uh, and he we... said, you need a Gideon Bible. <laughs> I don't know whether they have them in Japan, do they? I don't know. Probably do, actually. But anyway, uh, he sent us the... Sent us the right way <laughs> round the corner. Good <laughs> old Elvis. I know. Yeah, I quite like Elvis Costello. I love Elvis Costello. Mm. Yeah, he's great. So back to the Gideon Bible in the hotel room. Oh yeah. Um, 
Um, well, Mark pretended he didn't smoke draw, you know. Um, who was guess. he pretending to? Uh, well, the public at large, I think. You know, he thought it was a hippie-ish thing to do. So he, he kind of kept it cool, you know. But he'd, he'd ask me, can I have a little thing on that side, you know. But he smoked normal cigs. Yeah, he did, like a trooper. So when would he have? Uh, late at night, basically. You know, while we're abroad in an hotel, nothing's happening. You know, the gig's done. Um, he's, you know, he's had a drink. He just wants some company. So uh, yeah, it come, you know, knocking. Because it was well, <laughs> it was well known that his drug of choice was speed, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it might have been when he couldn't get, couldn't get speed. Possibly. Yeah, but they do two different things. They do, but you know, if you you might as well have one of them. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> kids just say no. Yeah, I don't condone it. No, that's exactly what we say. That's saying. what happened. That's what happened. We're and, only uh, reporting what happened. Yeah, yes, yeah. that's right. Back to the touring. I mean, it sounds quite fraught to me. It was about rule and divide with Mark. For a couple of days, Greg might be his best friend. You know, then it might be Steve for a couple of days. And me, that was, all, that was what it was about. Rule and divide, you know. Um, dictators use that Absolutely. all the time. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but clearly it, it worked for quite a while. Yeah, sure. But um, eventually, you know, it, I think... You, you get your comeuppance, you know, if you like that. He liked to put um, newspaper cuttings and things, you know, in his little office at the back, or sometimes on near the toilet door in the middle. And um, what were the cuttings? Well, it could be anything. He kind of uh, see pictures, he, he, you know, he had a, um, a sort of... <laughs> <laughs> One time we got these uh, Nazi war criminals and put our names under each one. I was goring. <laughs> <laughs> and did he just stick that up? And yeah. Then, and then you'd just discover it? Yeah, he's just what you know, you know, you'd stick it up with gaffer tape. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, so everybody had walked past it. Um, you know, tour managers. Um, sometimes he got on with them. There was one called Robbie Burns, who worked for Smokey for many years. <laughs> and uh, a hard-drinking Glaswegian. Mark really liked him. He had like a green sort of tour jacket from the seventies. Robbie did. He ended up having a bit of an argument. Um, nearly got really vis- physical with the coach driver because <laughs> you know these big maps that unfold. Yeah, <laughs> you have to fold them the right way when you put them back. <laughs> well, he wasn't happy. The coach driver, he <laughs> <laughs> was squabbling. You know, to driving along the road. It was terrible. Oh, that's going in the film. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, Mark, had like, if the, before tour managers, you know, on the big buses, he'd like me to be in the front with the driver because he knew I drove the car all the time. Uh, so, you know, yeah, he knew I wouldn't be drunk. And even if it was, it wasn't matter, but at least I knew where I was going the right direction. I wasn't driving after all. No, but what, so you were in charge of where you were going? Well, I just had to keep the eye on the bus driver. That was one of the things he liked me to do, Mark. You know, on a long drive across, I don't know, Germany for instance, because we're always in Germany. Yes. To and fro in. Very popular in Germany. Yeah, I loved it. Um, they were the first people to get onto the, uh, you know, eco-warrior scene. Yes, absolutely, they, really they were. were. I remember, you know, when you finish with your towels, if you don't want it, try and hang it up. They had signs up in the toilet. They had them and t- recycling. Yeah. They seem to be way <laughs> ahead on the recycling front. Yeah, they had... Um, a lot of those weird toilets where you can inspect what you're doing. <laughs> which, 
Always freak me out. <laughs> <laughs> Same with the ones in Japan. You know, you have to uh, squat down. So Perhaps we could do next bonus episode, <laughs> Simon Wollstonecraft's Toilets of the World. <laughs> well, you know, that was ones in Japan, don't they? With all buttons on. Let's not discount it, no. but, but let's not discuss it now. No, all right. So we're back on tour. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best point about touring? Uh, you know, just the adrenaline of playing, you know. Um, at first, in the 86, 87, 88... Quite well, most a lot of sellout gigs. There was a lot of yeah. TV and hits. Top yeah, there 40, was, yeah. top forty hits at that time, which they hadn't really had. No, I was lucky. I was lucky to join at that point. I know that, you know now. But uh, yeah, just the buzz of playing. You know, it's like that last night playing uh, with Lucygenic again. You know, it's it's good for you mentally and physically. There's no doubt about it. Music's the best drug of all now, Jackie, for me. And so would you do encores, wouldn't you? Um, Depending what mood Mark was in, yeah. Right. Yeah. If it was a rubbish sound, he'd probably make us do an encore just to make it more painful, (laughs) (laughs) Mark. But, yeah, uh, you know. Just to prolong the agony. Yeah, just a little bit, yeah, yeah. So straight off the stage, what, what happens? Back into the dressing room. Back into the dressing room. What's going on? Uh, well, Mark might have a separate dressing room and we'd have our own, you know, by this time. So we'd just uh, basically party and uh, have a great time and Bricks would be coming in and out with Marsha, you know, between Mark's room and depending on who was in Mark's room, then they'd come over to me and Stephen Craig. And would he be happy if people came to see him after a gig? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. He did have some uh, a friend called Charlie from Cambridge university who he's very fond of i didn't get to know him very well but he used to come to you know quite a few gigs he was scottish from edinburgh i think so he'd have him in the room you know vic reeves i'm not sure but he was always at the gigs in london two or three times anyway and so if, if a fan got backstage how would he be with um well, if they were gushing all over Mark, it'd make them very uncomfortable and, you know, punish them. <laughs> that's probably what they wanted, to yeah, be fair. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's <laughs> the thing, you know. The amount of people I meet now um, out and about, and they said, oh, I met Mark once, and they always ask him, how was he with you? And they always go, oh, he was great, you know. And uh, they bought me a drink, he bought me a pint, we were in the pub round the corner. And uh, that's really nice to hear about him, you know, about Mark. But he was really generous, you know, he really was. He was mm. always the first to get his hand in his pocket, you know, if you're out. And uh, he bought me um, a thing in Tokyo, a, a golfing shirt, very expensive it was, as a, a gift kind of thing, because we were doing a, a PR tour, talking about the album, Extricate probably. And uh, the rest of the band went home, and I stayed with him for about five days. I couldn't wait to get home, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Not because of Mark. I kind of have had enough by then, you know what I mean? But he bought me this lovely shirt. And uh, and if he hadn't liked it, would you have still worn it? Yeah, what have done. Yeah, it's like a, I don't know, like a polo shirt in sort of lime green colour. It was an absolute fortune, you know was from a golfing shop. Do you play golf? No, no. 
<laughs> I used to play pitch and put though when we weren't doing anything for weeks at a time up in Presswich on the course there. Who played with you? A guitar tech that I know called Phil. And we used to go up there in my car and just whack a ball around, you know, for a couple of hours. And Look. so Mark never joined in on that? No, no. Did he do any sport? Um, well, he tried. He tried to do temping bowling, but uh, that was a sight to be old. You know, the way he was holding the ball, like a frail old 90-year-old man. He was sort of crouching down, uh, sort of rolling it dead slowly. <laughs> <laughs> So was that his own technique or what was going on? I think it, yeah, I think it was. But he fancied himself as a, a goalkeeper, um, Mark did, as opposed to a player. Um, we did have a couple of kickabouts, one of them at Sol Studios, uh, Riley River Thames, uh, uh, where, we, where we did part of Extra K, actually, with Craig Leon, producer. It's a good album, that one. Um, I really liked it, 1990, I think. So in the kickabout, he's a goalie. What are you? I'm the striker. Good man. Yeah, yeah. And there's pictures of it. Um, I've not seen them for a long time. Uh, Mark was with Saffron at that point, his second wife, I think. That was a good time. We enjoyed doing that album. But Mark, he actually got a bit ill um, because he tended to have uh, an epileptic fit sometimes. You know, I don't know if it was just the speed that brought it on. Not very often, but we'd seen it happen two or three times over the years. Uh, once at his back garden on bonfire night, Carl Burns had come back then, doused the uh, bonfire in this small garden in Presswich. <laughs> it went up. Oh, no. And, and it's, you know, set Mark off, and the uh, ambulance had to come uh, take him away. And was so, he on medication for that? Uh, I don't know, really. I never asked him. No, never asked him. He was self-medicating, wasn't he? Yeah. You know, I've done it myself, Jackie, over the years. <laughs> what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about touring. Okay. So, um, yeah. but have you got a favourite tour? It's probably that world tour that we did with Extricate. You know, America, the, the gig in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro was great, with Martin Brahma. He rejoined the band, you see. And he was an original member, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. Right at the beginning. Mm. Uh, and I heard, you know, heard him on uh, Steve and Paul's podcast, yeah. Old Brother. Yeah, it's very interesting, you it's know. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah it is. So, yeah, that was And a when you say tour. World Tour, how long did that last? Well, on and off for probably about eight months. Wow. We went to Israel, uh, Tel Aviv all around Europe and Greece and, uh, yeah, really good time, that one. Well, is it a strange life? Because you're not at home for such a long time. Yeah, it didn't really matter to me then, even though I was, what year are we on now, 1990, so I would have been, what, 20, 28, 27, something like that. Uh, I was kind of used to it and I liked it. I still love living out of a suitcase, you know, I do. Uh, just travelling around with, you know, just what you need for for the job that's going to come. <laughs> so touring, yeah, we went to Zagreb, um, which was great, and we wrote a song called Zagreb. And so would you normally write songs when you're on a tour? Or... Yeah, sometimes, yeah. And how does that process work? Well, Mark, um, 
he'd have a lyric or something or other, you know, Noel's chemical effluent. It was about Noel the bus driver, you know, because he kept this effluent and under the bus uh, or, you know, to disinfect or whatever, to flush out those uh, smelly toilets. <laughs> well, back to the toilets again. Yeah, so he wrote a song about that and he'd say, come up with something for this, will you? You know, Craig. And so Craig would make a riff over it. He'd have his little dictaphone from Tandy, like the um, Loud Ayla was a Tandy one. But you had a couple of them with a gold bullhorn, which you put next to your ear, you know, while you're in the bunk bed, playing um, <laughs> Yankee Doodle Dandy was one of them. Dead, dead loud, right in your ear. What made him happy? He was very happy uh, at the Christmas party at the new Mount Street Christmas do. I think it must have been about 92, 93, maybe. They put uh, Kung Fu Fighting on by Carl Douglas. <laughs> and uh, he was doing all the actions. Everybody was Kung Fu Fighting. <laughs> you do the karate chop, you know, at the right place. It's probably not the right place. That. It's probably half a beat uh, further on. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he was dead happy doing that, dancing about, you know, with the office girls and his white shirt and his lovely brogues. He was obviously dead happy, Mark. Um, he said to me, Simon, you know, all I need is a, a suit, a lovely pair of shoes, leather shoes, packet of cigarettes, and enough to buy a pint, and I'm happy, Simon. And that's how he sort of seemed to live. You know, if he had all that, uh, he was just dead happy. He didn't want a car... I don't know if he was scared of cops knowing where he was or uh, even back then. You know, he was very conscious of that. But he loved being driven around, you know. Would he have had an Alexa in his house, do you think? I'm just thinking whether he'd be paranoid about somebody listening in. Yeah, I know. Well, it seems like any piece of uh, digital equipment, you know. if you uh, Well, your phone. Yeah, that. But he would never have a phone either. We did start getting mobiles in the early 90s. I think the, my first one was 94. He didn't want to know, you know. He didn't He didn't go, can, can I ring somebody up on that, you know. <laughs> he was scared of it, I think, a little bit, Mark. Because you can be tracked down, can't you? That's the thing. Yeah. Not that you'd have anything so hide, really. Well, no, and usually in town you knew where to find him. You yeah. knew which pubs he'd be yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't yeah. that difficult. Touring. And being on stage with Mark could be fraught with danger. From the few live gigs I saw, turning down of equipment, walking round, very aggressive sort of stance. <laughs> <laughs> and that was towards his own band members. Yeah, chucking a microphone stand like a spear yes. <laughs> across, the room, across the stage. Yeah, he did, he did do all that, turning the amps down. Um, he liked to pick on Craig, Scanlon that is, mostly. Just to wind him up, I think. Sometimes it it would actually make it better if he hit the right knob on the amplifier. I used to have a Vox AC30, Craig, when I first joined the band. And when he got rid of that and got another amp, Mark got rid of him, and that was one of the reasons. Which was a shame, and of course Mark regretted it and went on the record and said I should I shouldn't have sat Craig. You know, I've read it a couple of interviews that Mark did. But he'd do that. Steve, he'd 
protect his territory, Steve, uh, like a colossus, you know, stood in front of his amplifier. I remember sneaking in, you know, with his hand round the corner. <laughs> Steve looking. <laughs> but if he came from the front, Steve wouldn't let him through, which no. was great, stood his ground. With me, he actually um, had two microphones in the bass drum. One was a dummy one, and the real one was uh, hidden, you know, under a blanket or whatever, under at the back well, of you, the drum. You'd done that on purpose to stop him being able to affect the yeah, sound? Yeah, basically. Wow. But he'd pick the dummy one out thinking, he's, you know, sounds rubbish, that bass drum's too loud. They only had one microphone in the 60s at Shea Stadium and Beatles. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the technical guys would get to know the how crack. To, and how so to deal they, with it. They'd fox him. I think he knew in the end. It didn't make any difference. But he just liked to go with, with the charade. One time it was at... Um, I think it was Sheffield or Leeds, in 88, I think, or 87, the university, quite a full gig. He actually started to pour a bit of water on the top of my head <laughs> while I was playing, and I got really, really upset about it. I carried on. When we finished, I got on the bus, and uh, Stephen Craig said, oh, don't leave, don't leave. <laughs> and I said, well, uh, I'm not very happy. But anyway, we got the champagne out and all was forgotten. Did actually have a battle with me. My mum had died, you know, about three or four days previously. I was very upset. And the next day, um, you know, we're doing a European tour. And we're doing the sound check. And uh, he comes over and he goes, come on, get over it. Everybody dies. And push, and push the cymbal, um, cymbal stand so it came crashing down, you know, as I was playing. So I got up and, I, you know, I had to give him a couple of hits, you know, really. And Steve broke it up. Mark said, that's a sacking offence, isn't it, Steve? <laughs> Did you both so, look which, at Steve? No, Steve said, to his credit, you start. <laughs> oh, well done, Steve. I know. But he said, you look like Mark Tyson then, you know, coming off your drum kit uh, after that. And it happened again another time in Frankfurt and he threw a bottle at me for chatting up the cloakroom girl, you know. Yeah, you have to stand your ground, you know, you can't be pushed about. And you're supposed to be his friend. How did he treat his enemies? <laughs> He's just keeping us on our toes. You're not joking. You know. What was it like to record an album or go into the recording studio? Could be quite traumatic sometimes. Good grief. <laughs> but, but generally, um, going in those big studios, like the Manor in Oxfordshire, which Virgin Records own, big mansion, and it's, you know, a beautiful place, huge, and there's some big mural on the wall that somebody had done uh, with all the Virgin Records stars, Boy George... I thought it was hideous, but, you know, it's so over the top. We, we found it dead funny. But we'd sort of go upstairs and who who, who gets the best room quickest? Because once your bag's on that bed, Jackie, that's your bed. It's the same with the bunks on the on the bus. First come, first served. You snooze, you lose. <laughs> and you buy the toilets. <laughs> oh, so you, you get your bag the best bed. That's, yeah. the, that's the number one thing, is it? What I remember about that studio... <laughs> Uh, Craig's room was called the pit. 
<laughs> which was almost funny because we had big rooms and he had this little tiny one, you know, creaky floorboards. I don't know what used to go on in there in the old days, you know, the 16th, 17th century, whatever it was. Friends Experiment we did at uh, Oxfordshire there. Not the best album for me. I like Bremen that. Simon Rogers was around still, you see. So we'd done the programming on the drums for that. And how long does it take to record an album? Not long with a fall. It's none of that messing about with a bass drum for two days to get the right... Bit more right EQ. (laughs) None of that. Just straight in. So you're recording them as live as the whole band together? Well, it was me and Steve and Craig... 99.9 99.9 of the t- time, doing it live. First take, sometimes you get two takes if you're lucky. Very occasionally, three takes. In a scenario like that, I think if you don't get it right the first two times, then you might as well forget it because it'll get worse and worse. You know, your brain gets overtaxed. And I know, but you hear some bands that stay in the studio for months and months. What are they doing? Well, um, who knows? Who knows? Because uh, you're turning around an album in what? Weeks? Two days? Weeks, two weeks? A week. Actual recording. Then it'll go off and get mixed or whatever afterwards. He'd come in and rubbish it a lot of the time, Mark. You know, he'd be down the pub uh, or in his own room, you know, in the case of the manor, uh, drinking whiskey, having a snort of speed, you know, um, that kind of thing. Come in. It's bloody rubbish, that. Start it again. One, two, three, four. (laughs) You have to really be on the ball. I wish I could have had more time doing it. I would have liked to spend maybe not two days on the kick drum sound, but maybe an hour. But that's never, never going to happen with the fall. It was just, uh, that's it. That's that's how prolific it became. I think they've done about 70 albums. Couldn't keep up with it, you know. And were there ever songs recorded that didn't go on any album? Or did everything go on an album? Chee Chee Chee, the Eurovision Song Contest entry, never made it, unfortunately. It's a very sad day. I think it would have been good, I really do. I do. We need to find that cassette. The pop music type way. There's still time, I'm not (laughs) Well, who would have it? Mark's sister, maybe. She might have it. Right, well, we need to get her. A suitcase full of cassettes. Get those cassettes, get the cassette player out, and let's find that track. What was your favourite album to record? The first one, Ben Sinister, yeah, Abbey Road. Fantastic. Um, I mean, what co- a great experience that is. Yeah, I couldn't believe my luck. And Mr Pharmacist came out of that, and that's one of the ones I'm most proud about in my whole time I've been playing drums. You know, if I hear that in a bar or a pub, I always think, oh, you know, sounds all right. <laughs> Even though it was mastered off a cassette, much to John Lecky's horror, you know, the producer. That's the way Mark wanted it, and he was the call in the shots, you know. And so when you were at Abbey Road, did you stay in London? Yeah, we stayed in the uh, Marriott Hotel in Swiss Cottage. Well, we were there a week. Well, Monday to Friday, anyway. We did Realm of Dust there, and Riddler, I think, in that studio. Number two studio. Another album I liked recording was the infotainment scan. 
which I loved. And we, we started writing that at Dave Bush's house, the music that is. He'd got an Atari computer. Of course, Dave didn't join till about 1992 or one. And me and Stephen Craig would go round and he'd have this, you know, computer going. I really liked uh, Dave's input into the band. Um, it's a shame when he got the Evo, uh, when Julian Nagel came in, you know, instead of him, you know, later on. It was a travesty, Jackie. <laughs> but another studio, good one, in London, the, the Townhouse, uh, West London. Uh, we went in there with Adrian Sherwood, who, who um, had a thing called On New Sound. Mark was a good friend of his. Um, <laughs> once I met, uh, I met him at a festival, festival, was it the number six? Yeah, it was, in North Wales, Adrian. <laughs> I thought it was called Joe Wobble. I said, I had Joe. Oh, no. I said, Simon, it's me, mate. It's me, Adrian. <laughs> I know Joe Wobble's not, it's actually called John, but I didn't know that, you know, not long ago. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was great. It's a good studio, that. And I met that guy out of Head, Mick Head. Out of the band called Shat. Shat, yeah, who I'm going to see. Ah, you've seen him. They're good, aren't they? They're brilliant. He's, he's good, a, aren't they? Um, he's coming to Gorilla. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, that'd be good. I'm really looking forward to he it. He said to me, uh, oh, you're quite chubby, you, aren't you? She <laughs> said, leave it out. <laughs> I know, I know. But I did go and see him a couple of years ago. But they love him, don't they? Oh, he's... Punters. Yeah, he's brilliant. So next, we're going to look at your friendship with Mark as we celebrate his 65th year. Okay. It's actually my mum took me round uh, to Mark's house in the very beginning to drop me off. For some reason, my car must have been off the road. But I loved it, I loved it straight away, um, being round his house. I remember sitting there in the back room, um, you know, fancy a scotch, you know, whiskey. Uh, yeah, all right, go on then. Oh, I don't know, pretending I like it. I never really liked whiskey. Do you like whiskey? Not at all. No. <laughs> I'm sure there's some nice blends. He likes the Irish one, um, whatever it's called. Jameson's. Yeah, that's what they got him at his funeral, actually. A case of it off his agent, you know, for the party. Yeah, it was great. The fish tank there, bubbling away in the background. Um, nice semi. Impress which, you know, the bubbles would come up, you know, from the fish. He was mm. really into his fish. And he'd feed them. Was it a big tank? Uh, I'd say it was probably about four foot long. Wow. By two foot, quite a big one. Yeah. You know, the sunken ship in the middle uh, on the gravel there, and the fish would come in. And he'd go, oh, he's not very well, you know, that one there. Uh, whatever the species was. You know, these little silver ones with blue electric. Electric blue lines down the middle, lateral lines. And his house, was he into home decor and stuff? No, but Bricks was. Who was in the band, obviously, by when I joined. So she'd have it very, you know, tastefully decorated. And a state-of-the-art kitchen. Uh, what she liked to do is cook breakfast on, you know. Uh, he said, that'll keep away any sort of disease, you know, fry breakfast in the morning. Uh, he really liked that. He liked steak tartare as well. Because we were in Quambra in Portugal once, and in the hotel he ordered it, and he ordered it for his mum who came on tour with us, which was great. 
Uh, was he a, a different person when his mum was around? Uh, yeah, yeah, he was. She knew he was a bit cheeky, you know what I mean? Um, and his dad she, died suddenly, didn't he? Um, I acquired some gold taps when I, when I joined the man. <laughs> so do you want to buy them? Wait, <laughs> what? <bought> them. <laughs> you had some gold taps? They, they weren't solid gold, but uh, I don't know where they came from, but they look quite impressive. And he says, yeah, go on then, I'll give you a ten for them. <laughs> Uh, I only met him the once, yeah. Where are the gold taps? <laughs> <laughs> we need to know. Oh, we're in somebody's bathroom and so <laughs> Is that why he took the mum on tour? Was it just after the dad had died? I think it might have been. And of course, we went to see Roy Orbison, who wasn't. I, th- I thought he was, but he'd already died a year before. <laughs> <laughs> still one of my favourite stories. Uh, I know. The Roy I still Orbison can't get story. It's only recently, as I say, that I've discovered. The big O had passed on a couple of years or a year earlier. You know, whether his mum knew or not, I don't know. Either way, we had a great night. And that's the main thing, yeah. Yeah, he used to get on with his mum, Mark. What was he like around his mum? He was nice, you know. He's got his sisters there, so it's, you know... Because he was one of four, wasn't he? So there were three sisters and Mark. So there's a lot of women around Yeah, there is. And, you know, he was great, you know, with his mum. You know, looked after and all the rest of it. She worked at the post office in Presswich. That was her sort of domain, you know. But she only lived a street away from where he was. So, you know, we'd call round in the car. And we'd say, all right, Mum, you know, here's a tenner or whatever. <laughs> you know, it was good. So, so he was a good son? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. So was he a gardener? Um, he didn't bother with the garden himself. But his brother-in-law, who, whose name escapes me now, he had a beard. Looked like something out of um, Tintin. You know, like a pirate sort of thing. But he was dead proud of having a gardener, you know what I mean? And he'd come and do the roses and all that. It wasn't a big garden. But, of course, you know, he hated it when there was a gig at uh, Eaton Park. But we did get to play there ourselves, you know. At the Cities in the Park Festival. You know, with uh, people like Electronic and... Uh, yeah, I went to that. It was great. Yeah, it was good. And did the Buzzcocks play? Yeah, they did. Yes. It's a good part, that I like. Eaton well, that'll Park. have been handy. Could he just walk home? Well, he'd probably gone via the Woodthorpe, you know, on the corner there, where we did, uh, you know, Ghost in My House video, you know, in the woods and in the bar. He, he loved taking me up there, you know. The ostrich went in there with him, a bit further down the road. Foresters only went in there a couple of times. But, you know, I think early on he spent a lot of time in the Foresters. Seemed uh, to hang around a lot of pubs, didn't he? Yeah, he did. George so, and Dragon. So as soon as he got up, that was it, he was out. What, in the morning? Yeah, in the house. So he'd get up and, and would he yeah, just Yeah, he'd think, like to go for a pint. Yeah. Say we had something to do and I'd come round to pick him up. He'd go, you know, come, do you fancy a pint? Fancy a pint? Come on, we'll, you know, we'll go and have a couple of pints up the road before he went here, there or wherever he wanted to go. And was there any darts being played or card games? Uh, never seen him play cards, Mark, or darts. Snooker? No, never seen him do that. Bowling, ten-pin bowling, and the and the uh, goalkeeping. Yeah, but you know, he was, was a Man City fan, wasn't he? Um, before they were f- fashionable, you correct. Know? <laughs> yes, there was a few of us. And he, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did. I think he used to go to Main Road a couple of times. He talk about Wigan Casino. Did he dance all night? Yeah, he did. So he told me. 
So I never saw him doing all that stuff, you know. Uh, was he doing all those flips and what have you? He, he was a good dancer. Cause, you know, we got to the Hacienda, me and him, you know, on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, or any club we might be when we're touring. And he'd get and, up and have a dance? Well, he'd go, come on, let's go out, Simon, you know, leave them lot there, uh, Stephen Cray, the Catholic lads. We <laughs> 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 go off. And uh, we'd have a great time, you know. I remember being in a massive club in New York, the Powerhouse, it was called. Dancing to the sounds of S- Snap, the Power, when it came out, uh, which is one of the songs that I'm going to mention later. Uh, five songs that remind me of Mark. <laughs> So, all in all, um, Mark was uh, one of my best friends, you know, when I joined the band. He really was. I think he, he liked me too, and he must have done. And uh, when he passed away, sadly, um, his sister, Caroline, she said, Oh, Mark would have loved it that you were there, even though I'd not seen him for two or three years previously. Just because, you know, we were moving in different circles, and he was probably away a lot still, you know, touring, and I wasn't. Um, so that was really nice to hear that, but I kind of knew that anyway, if you know what I mean. And I'm so glad I went uh, to to see him off for the last time. And he and he didn't come in a car; he came in a horse and carriage. You know, a couple of black horses, uh, big ones. I remember him very fondly. Whenever I go up to Presswich or anywhere near, you know, I always think about him all. You know, a lot. Oh, we used to go in there, we used to walk down that bit, uh, which is quite nice. So, yeah, uh, sad really, he's gone. No, nothing like him again, I don't think. Do you go and see the mural of him? Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, it's yeah. impressive, yeah. And I think the press switch, I don't know about everybody, but embrace it, the fact that that mural is there. Um, I suppose a lot of people don't even know it's there because it's on the back of the building, isn't it? But you can't have everything, can you? <laughs> well, typical Mark. It's not going to be made easy, is it? No, 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 he, won't, he wouldn't want it easy, would he? God bless you, Mark, for everything you taught me. You know, over the years, I was in your employ. I uh, had a really good time. And uh, I've got you to thank for that, so God bless you. OK, we're going to need a soundtrack for tonight's episode. So these are all songs that remind you of Mark? Yeah. The first one is Rumble by Link Ray. He played uh, Link Ray, the album, when I first went round, you know, hanging out at his house before he went for a drink or whatever. The second song is Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, The Night. Superb. Um, he was one of the first people that I ever heard. You know, he played it in his on his stereo or whatever. I thought, wow, amazing this. And of course, you know, he went to uh, Wigan Casino and all the rest of it. I'm, sh- I'm sure they might have played that there, which is probably why I liked it so much. Uh, the next one is the aforementioned Snap, a band from Germany, techno duo. We like techno, and Mark would buy us um, rap albums sometimes, you know, cassettes. Very kind, Mark. But the power, yeah, and I remember dancing in the powerhouse in New York with Mark, having a great time, uh, just living a life, you know. Okay, my next one's Carl Douglas's Kung Fu Fighting. 
which, as I mentioned, uh, I really um, remember Mark dancing at the Christmas party to that one and doing the karate chop action, uh, you know, the chorus, which was just wonderful, and he was having a great time again, and his spotless white shirt, you know, and uh, lovely brogues. The final one is going to be the fall single, Hit the North. It was just an amazing time um, for the band, for me, um, Great and great lyrics, great video. And uh, it's just a great, you know, sing-along pop song, really. It still sounds good today. Well, we've come to the end of another bonus episode, Simon. Well, there'll be others, Jackie, I'm sure. Well, I've very much enjoyed myself. Me too, yeah. Thank you for coming over and talking about Mark. Now, Mark would have been 65. What do you think he would have made of being considered an OAP? He would have been an interesting character for sure, you know. And he would, you know, if you watch in a pub and saw him age 65, um, you just think, wow, he's lived a life, you know. <laughs> you know, I'm sure he'd be uh, just, just as uh, Mark always was in his views and his opinions. How would he have coped with lockdown? Not well, being able to go out to the pub and see people? I don't think he would have liked it. No, I don't know. Um, 65, he would have been. When we're on tour, we'd buy him, um, you know, maybe half a bottle of scotch or something now and again. For his birthday? Yeah, and we'd get a card, me, Steve and Craig, uh, and I'll sign it. But whatever we bought him, he'd scoff at. Say, oh, look at this rubbish. (laughs) Which, uh, you know, you'd expect nothing less. So he wasn't one for celebrating his birthday, really? No, but he liked uh, people to know, you know, if we are on tour somewhere. Invariably, we were. Would he tell the crowd? Would he say it's no? Bit- God, no, 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 not at all. Not interested in that. <laughs> no, he wouldn't do that, Mark. Yeah, so you know, he didn't make a fuss. So, not Mark. No. And what do you think he'd make of us two doing this podcast? Hmm. Good question. He likes you, and I think he liked me. So I don't think he'd be that bothered. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. We're going to raise a glass to him tonight, aren't we? Yeah. uh, Yeah. Happy birthday, Mark. Wherever you are. This podcast was produced and edited by John. Post-production is by Carl Svensson at Tadar Media Limited. Music by Colin McGrath, Joe Brown, Johnny Smale and Simon Wollstonecroft. And the artwork is by Lee Dyer. This has been Funky Size, A to Z of Manchester. Manchester.